Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, continuing the series today, Encountering God. And if there's one thing that I can say in this whole concept of how we encounter God, it's this, and it's true, Jesus is alive. If you want to encounter God, it starts with that knowledge. It starts with that truth that Jesus is alive. And I want to begin with a couple of verses that I referenced last time. Some key texts for this series, John 14 and 12. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone has faith in me, he will do what I have been doing. That's a powerful statement. If anyone has faith in Jesus, we will do what he has done. But on what basis? What's the key to that? John 15 and 5. I mentioned this in my check-in. We saw it in the video earlier. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And and one of these great keys to fully encountering the reality of God is understanding that we are in Christ. And as I remain in Jesus, he makes a wonderful promise that he will remain in us. I think some people sometimes are a little bit confused about what it means or what it looks like to live as a Christian. Many people seem to think, well, Jesus is an example for us to follow. So being a Christian is kind of following the sorts of things that Jesus would do. Let's just kind of second guess what Jesus would do and do those kinds of things. In fact, that's what the disciples thought up until the day of Pentecost. In fact, they're they're kind of following along after Jesus, trying to guess what Jesus would do next. And sadly, for many, many people, that understanding remains. We just got to follow Jesus' example, discipline ourselves to do the kinds of things that Jesus would do in any given circumstance or situation. Uh, this is actually re- reflected um, one back a few years in a trend that was hugely popular, certainly as our kids were growing up. WWJD, who remembers that? What would Jesus do? Or as I told my kids, Wally Wombat jumps dangerously. WWJD, massively popular uh, fad or trend. What would Jesus do? Now, I'm going to do this with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek today, just so that we'll get the point. I'm not having a go at anybody. And while we're laughing a little bit, I pray that there would be a deeper truth that we take home from this today. You've got to understand... WWJD, what would Jesus do, is not the Christian life. Trying to second guess Jesus is not the Christian life. Now, I get the, the, the trend, the fad, 
And I think at the time it was probably a healthy thing. Kids wore bracelets with WWJD and it's a healthy mindset, particularly for young people finding their way into faith. But I want to tell you there are two basic things that are wrong with that concept. The first one is this. How do you know what Jesus would do? His disciples never did. His disciples never knew what Jesus would do in any given situation. So how do we think that we would know what Jesus would do? I mean, if the Christian life is second-guessing Jesus, how do we know what Jesus would do? I mean, here's an example. Would you spit in the eye of a blind man? It's what Jesus would do. In fact, he did it twice. Once he missed and had to make a paste out of the mud as the spit landed on the ground and put it in the guy's eye. So how can we predict what Jesus would do unless we have a predictable pattern, a predictable box that Jesus fits in and it's all domesticated, it's very user-friendly and I'm happy to keep Jesus in a box That is my box of predictability. But friends, Jesus was anything but predictable. Second problem with WWJD is that it presupposes Jesus' absence. What do I mean by that? Well, it assumes Jesus is not here. It implies this. Well, just supposing Jesus was here today, but we know he's not. He hasn't been around for 2,000 years. But supposing he was What do you think Jesus would do? But friends, at the very heart of the Christian life is the fact that Jesus is here. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is alive and our lives are being indwelt by the very spirit of Jesus himself. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. We are indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus Himself. The disciples, as I said, they didn't realize this until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was in that moment that they stopped being fearful, inadequate followers of Jesus and they stepped out and began to be Jesus to their generation in the context of the world around them. And as we know, they turned their world upside down. They changed the world. Friends, the whole point of the Christian life is that we have a living, risen Christ by His Holy Spirit living in us and empowering us for life and for service. He is alive and He is alive in us. Can I hear an amen this morning? Because if we don't get that right, all we have is a dead religion called Christianity, which would be about as powerless as any other religion. It might be convenient. It might be nice and something nice to believe in, but it would have absolutely no substance. I mean, what's the difference between saying what would Jesus do and what would Mother Teresa do? Because Mother Teresa apparently was pretty nice. She did some pretty good stuff. And she's a more contemporary example for us to follow. We've also got more stories about Mother Teresa than we do stories of Jesus. We've also got photos, first-hand accounts, and some video 
So what's the difference between saying what would Jesus do and what would Mother Teresa do? And you might say, well, Jesus was a better example. Well, if that's our attitude, then you've just proved my point. Jesus is a better example for us to follow. And if that's the only reason we can give, then all we're trying to do is imitate Jesus. And if the Christian life, friends, was just trying to imitate Jesus, I would have quit a long time ago because it's simply not possible. Because the moment we try to make Jesus predictable, the moment we try to reduce him to some predictable pattern, the moment we make Jesus some kind of example that we can imitate, or we try to reduce him to some sort of formula, you can absolutely be certain, you can guarantee he will break that. It's really interesting in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, there's 10 distinct miracles that Jesus performs there in, in those two chapters. And as you look through those two chapters, there is a heap of variety in the way that Jesus performed those miracles. For example, there was a man who had leprosy and Jesus reached out and touched him. Now that's unusual for a start, but let's read from Matthew 8 and 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Jesus touched a leper. Nobody touched lepers. It was a contagious disease. It was a death sentence. But Jesus touched him. He said, be clean. And the man was healed. Then a centurion man comes to Jesus in verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to have, to, to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Down to verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So the centurion comes to Jesus and says, I've got a servant at home who is sick. Jesus said, I'll come. The centurion says, no, you don't need to come. Just say the word and I know that he will be healed. And it says when the centurion got home, he finds his servant well. And in fact, healed at the very hour that Jesus had spoken to him. Now in that situation, Jesus didn't touch the man. He hadn't even met him. He just spoke the word and the man was healed. Then a lame man comes to him, Matthew 9 and 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own, uh, to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At, some, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Goes on to say, then he said to the paralytic, get up, 
take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. So in this instance, Jesus didn't touch the guy. Jesus just saw him, spoke to him, said, get up and walk. And instantly the man began to walk. Then we read of a woman who approached Jesus who had been bleeding for 12 years. Let's read it from Luke's account, Luke 8 and 43. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She sneaks through the crowd She reached out her hand and touched his cloak. And as she did, she was instantly healed. Jesus said, who touched me? And he turns around and there was the lady probably embarrassed. She's been found out. She'd hoped Jesus had been looking the other way. But Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. And the Bible says she was healed. Now, I give you all of those examples To illustrate this point, he touched one person and he was healed. He spoke to another person and somebody was healed. He spoke about another person, somebody was healed. Somebody else touched him and they were healed. Now, here's the thing. We can say, well, that's fine. There's no pattern there. But if the people in Jesus' day were anything like we are today in the church, as soon as Jesus left town, it would have caused some problems. Because when Jesus left, maybe the people got together and they started saying things like this. You know, when Jesus was here, he healed me. And somebody else says, that's fantastic. Isn't it good? Because when Jesus was here, he healed me too. And the first man said, oh, that's awesome. You know, it was just amazing when he touched me, when he put his hands on me. It was as though I could feel the power of God coming down through his fingers, through his arms and down into my body. Did you feel the power of God in his hands when he touched you? And the other guy says, what do you mean when he touched me? Well, didn't you say you were healed? Yeah, I did. But he doesn't go around touching people. He just spoke the word with such authority. And just the sound of his voice, I was a cripple and now I am totally healed. And he just spoke the word to me. The authority in his voice was absolutely incredible. Didn't you hear the authority in his voice when Jesus healed you? And the first guy says, well... That's not how he healed me. He didn't heal me by speaking to me. He just touched me. If he didn't touch you, I think yours is just psychosomatic. It's a bit of wishful thinking. So if they were anything like we are today, 
on the basis of their experience of Jesus, their different experiences of Jesus, they go and form two different churches. One's called the Touchy Church. And they love getting together and just talking about the wonderful touch of God. And they sing some beautiful old hymns like, To get a touch from the Lord is so real. Oh, He touched me. That's the Touchy Church. But then the other church, based on the experience of the guy who Jesus just spoke the word and he was healed through the authority of Jesus' voice, they form a church called the Church of the Word. And they love just focusing on the word. And it's all about the word. It's all about the word. It's all about the word. They sing some more contemporary songs. Take you at your word. I think that's a Cody Cairns song. Mercy me's word of God speak. One day, though, they hear about another guy who's come into town who was also healed by Jesus. And so they're really, really keen to hear his story and recruit him into their church. So they bolt down to his place, get there at the same time. They both knock on the door together. And as he opens the door, the man from the touchy church says, Hey, we hear you're new in town, but we hear that you've been healed by Jesus. And the guy says, Yeah, I have. And the guy says, well, that's wonderful because we've got a whole church full of people who have also been healed by Jesus. And we would love you to come and join us and share your testimony and tell us all about how Jesus touched you. That when he touched you, how you felt the power of God through his arms, through his fingers, down into your body and to feel that surge of healing power. Share with us how that felt. And the guy's standing there saying, well, I'd love to come and share my testimony, but did you say when he touched me? He didn't touch me. And the guy says, but, but I thought you said Jesus healed you. He said, yeah, he did, but he didn't touch me. That's not how he healed me. Well, the other guy jumps in. Well, excuse me, we have the one true church in this town and we would love you to come down and share with us about the authority in Jesus' voice when he spoke the word to you. That authority in his voice that saw you healed. All he had to do was just speak. Just a word and you were healed. And we'd love you to come and share that testimony of how you were healed when Jesus spoke the word. And the guy says, well, thank you. I'd love to come and share my testimony but did you say when he spoke to me? Yeah, you know, when he spoke to you, when he healed you, when he said, be clean or, or whatever it was that he said to you. Well, well, thank you for the invitation. But you've got to know, yes, Jesus spoke to me, but that's not how he healed me. And the first guy says, hang on. So Jesus didn't touch you. No, he didn't. And the other guy says, Jesus didn't speak to you. Well, no, he didn't. Well, he spoke to me, but that's not how he healed me. Well, what did he do then? Well, he did what, what he's always done as far as I know. What did he do? Well, he just spat in my eye. Didn't he spit in your eye? And it's a really interesting story. Let's go there, Mark 8 and 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people bought a blind man begging Jesus to touch him. 
He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now it's interesting. It says when they came to Bethsaida, some people bought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. They didn't beg Jesus to heal him. They begged him to touch him because they were from the touchy church. They didn't say Jesus heal him. They said Jesus touch him. Jesus just touch him. Do what you always do. Just reach out and touch him. And what did he do? Because Jesus can never be put in a predictable box or predictable pattern. And he breaks out of the expectation. And friends, we're guilty of this. We are so secure with Jesus in a little box that is our own experience of him. And that's the way that Jesus always, always functions. That's the way he works. And we get really threatened. We get even offended at times. We get confused when we see Jesus acting in a way that is different to our own experience in somebody else's life. And we even get skeptical because that's not my experience of Jesus. He's done something in somebody else's life in a different way that I've never experienced. And we get really threatened by that. Friends, don't get insecure. When you see Jesus working in a way that might be different to what you've experienced, just say, Jesus, you are alive and you can work however you like. Forgive me for putting you in a box. Forgive me for restricting you. Forgive me, con forgive me for confining you to a box that is my own experience. Father, may I experience something deeper of you at work because I'm going to let go of those boundaries and allow Jesus to be Jesus. This story in Mark is a really, really good lesson for all of us. I would love to have been there because here is Jesus with a crowd of people around him. There's people from the touchy church and the people from the church of the word there. And they think we're going to see a miracle. This is going to be good. This is going to prove our point. And the crowd goes quiet. And as Jesus stands in front of this blind man, suddenly in the quietness, they hear, Aah! and he spits in his eye. Now, that's an amazing story. Now, that guy probably goes and forms another church called the Church of the Holy Spittle. And they get together every Sunday morning and sing songs like, Spittle of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. But, uh... Now, we can laugh at that, but isn't this exactly how we behave at times? We try to reduce Jesus to some kind of predictable pattern. And if we can work it out, all we've got to do is repeat the pattern. Repeat the program. Repeat the model. But friends, if Jesus Christ is alive, that he is alive and he will be continuing to do things differently. And the issue is not how these people were healed. The issue was who is healing them. Can I hear an amen this morning? The important thing is never the pattern or the program or the strategy. It is who is behind this? Who is doing this? Who is doing this work? And if it's Jesus, he can do it whatever way he does. And we need to repent of expecting that Jesus is always going to fit a predictable pattern.
20 years ago, Kerry and I didn't wake up one morning after reading a church planting book and say, hey, let's start a church. That'll be fun. And if we just do it the way they did it in the book, it's going to be a hit. It's going to work. If we just follow a formula, it will work. And can I say, there are way too many churches today trying to follow set formulas because they think it's about a pattern or a strategy or a precedent. Friends, I get excited and passionate about this church, not because it was my idea, but because God has gathered people to this church to raise up a fired up group of people who are passionate about serving God in their times and being Jesus to their generation. Can I hear an amen this morning? It's not about second guessing what God's trying to do. It's about living every day, making Jesus our number one priority and seeking him first in all things. Because I believe God is doing something in this place I could not have invented in a million years. Understand that it is God's Spirit. It is the life of Jesus in us that will guide us and direct us and to reveal to us what we're here on this planet for. So as the team comes back, I'll finish where we started. John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And friends, the life, the life of all we are as God's people, the life that makes this Christian journey work and make sense is the life of Jesus by his Holy Spirit, the risen Jesus, his power, his person in and through our lives. I'm going to close by reading Romans 8, verses 9 to 11 from the message, which says it great. Listen to this. But God himself has taken up residence in your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and ever-present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does as sure as He did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with His Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. That's a powerful passage. Friends, the life, as, as we proclaim to be God's people, the life is the life of Jesus himself. And we're going to be open to that. Let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you, Lord God, for the power of your words. And, and Lord, forgive us for when we do Jesus into a box that is our own predictable experience and we're comfortable with that but I I thank you God 
that Jesus is alive. He didn't follow patterns, didn't follow predictable behaviors. He was always radical, always different, always breaking out of the box of everybody's expectations. And he continues to do that today. So forgive us, God, when we limit you because we place certain expectations on Jesus. Instead, Father, may we know the power, the presence, and the purpose of Jesus Himself by His Holy Spirit living in us, equipping us for life, equipping us for living. And God, may you surprise us always by doing things that are so radically different. That we can all live with a testimony that says, man, God showed up, didn't see it coming, didn't expect it that way. And just proof and evidence that it's not about us trying to do our best for Him. It's God sovereignly moving because He is alive today. Thank you for the lessons and the examples of your words. And I pray, Jesus, that even though we've had a few laughs this morning, even laughed at ourselves, that in that there's a great lesson. You always want to surprise us. You always want to break out of the boxes that we put you in because you are alive. So, Father, as we leave from this place this morning, may we learn to live with an expectation to expect the unexpected, that you would surprise us. May every day we wake up and just live with that expectation. God's going to do something new today. He might do something remarkable today. He might do something surprising today. He might do something in my life that I've never experienced before and be open to that. And there's a great freedom that comes in that. And Father, may your church be unified. Not because we share the same experience, but because we celebrate the diversity of experience. That is all evidence that Jesus is alive. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit's work in us is to continue to refine us and grow us and shape us. That we might more and more reflect that beautiful image of Jesus. Continue that work in us, we pray, for your glory and for our benefit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.